Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another new episode of the What the Niche podcast with your host, Andrew Morris. Now, before we jump right into this week's show, I have just a couple quick things to address. First, please check out the slew of episodes I put up during the week of Halloween. I posted a special bonus episode of The Women of Horror, another short story from Eric Chavez called The Woman from the Creek, and the first installment of the Pandemic Players Project. I'd also like to encourage all of my listeners to continue to check out the Dastardly Dingoes podcast and head on over to their YouTube channel and check out the special Halloween episode that featured me. Beyond that, please head on over to whatthenitch.net and grab some podcast swag to help me keep this beautiful train rolling. The month of October was filled with a ton of special guests and events. It also led to the highest jump in new listeners I've had since the start of this podcast earlier this year. A special thanks goes out to every single one of my guests and to all of you who continue to tune in. Now that that gushy stuff is out of the way, It's on to this week's episode. In this week's episode, the world of theater takes center stage once again. is incredibly important it gives us a sense of escapism and I think just for those two and a half hours when you go and get into a theatre and sit sit down in your seat you can forget about all the struggles and the strife that you might be going through in your day-to-day life and you can just allow yourself to be submerged in a different world whether that world is of Shakespeare or tragedy or comedy or romance musical theatre straight plays it doesn't matter it's just allowing yourself to be somewhere different for just a little bit of time and I think it's incredibly important I think it's the immediacy of being in a live performance. Uh, There's nothing quite like it. And uh, it's exciting, thrilling, and and theatre is here. Theatre is here to stay. There's nothing more thrilling than seeing a live performance. Well, there's there's nothing that that compares to it because it it, it is of the moment, it is fleeting, and when it when it works it's incredibly potent it's 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 the best thing for the performer and for the audience i mean it it works both ways the audience becomes another character in the play we get to tell stories that that, that an audience can relate to um, that can be thought provoking um, but also having that live aspect and being able to perform to uh, to a live audience that can really connect with whatever the subject matter is and, and, and really feel something, feel what we're feeling on stage. I think it's cathartic. I think um, it should be, you know, holding a mirror up to our society. Um, and all of these things just sort of make uh, kind of life a bit more palatable, I hope. I think all art, in a way, just gives us an opportunity to see ourselves. And for some reason, human beings feel invigorated and refreshed and supported when we see ourselves, our emotions, our hate and anger and lust and fears represented. And so it's affirming, but it can also be changing. In a time that we live in, sometimes uh, theatre seems to be the only freedom that we have to actually say 
how we feel or to comment on something in society or uh, yeah I, th I feel like it's a branch of a, an expression that sometimes is the only Amidst what feels like my 10,000th day wearing pajamas, I came to a stark realization. Live theater has left a void in me. The things I miss about it create quite an extensive list. I miss calling the box office, strategizing the best seat. I miss dinner with my friends as a means of theater pre-game tradition. I miss thumbing through a playbill as anticipation builds. I miss being told to silence my phone or the stage manager might hurt me. I miss the words floating through the air just for my ears to hear. I miss Feeling the power of a good performance moved me to tears. I miss singing in the dark and trying not to bother my neighbor. I miss the lights, the curtains, the stage, the sound, the uncomfortable seats, the buildings, the aisles, and the soap in the bathroom. I miss sitting in the audience and standing to acknowledge a job well done. I miss performing and coming out for our applause. I miss changing clothes in tight quarters and smiling while doing it. I miss forgetting lines and having small heart attacks. I miss, plain and simple, every damn last bit of it. I hope the theater comes back to us soon, with the fervor of a longed-for lover. So actors, writers, directors, costume and technical designers, and every beautiful person involved with live theater, get your rest now, because the world is going to be anxiously awaiting your triumphant return. And that brings me to my guest this week. The first being Ashley Wallace. She is a professor, theater director, aerialist, and actor. And I have to also give a special nod to her because she is one of the reasons I found my way back to the stage after 17 years. Thank you for that. During our chat, we discuss how Ashley got an early start in the performance world. We also spoke about the wonders and difficulties of teaching theater at the college level. I found our conversation to be engaging and thoughtful, and I hope you find some fun tidbits in there as well. I'm Ashley Wallace. I am an assistant professor of theater performance at Indiana uh, University Southeast, which is where I met Mr. Morris, um, and currently finishing up the semester there um, and dealing with this fun quarantine time. Um, I had a couple of shows that were in the canon um, 
now we're ready to go. Uh, but you know, everything kind of stops, everything's paused. So got to find other outlets for creativity these days. Indeed. Yeah. I know, uh, right before we started the podcast, uh, Ashley and I were talking about how different it is in this new paradigm shift of what education looks like in the virtual world and her trying to manipulate that to do things like um, scenery work and movement with actors and individuals having to get really creative. And um, you had some pretty cool thoughts if you wanted to maybe share a couple of those on what you're doing in this all. Yeah. Um, so I was teaching scene study, uh, like which is an acting two course. I was teaching two sections of scene study um, where they were supposed to be doing um, scene work with partners. Um, and then I was teaching, I say was, I still am currently teaching. It's just in a different um, form. Um, but uh, I'm teaching movement for the actor, which is all different styles of movement. Um, a lot of um, mime work, physical storytelling, things like that. So um, with my scene study group, I've actually kind of shift focus where I think is maybe useful to actors and um, kind of looked at their performances as um, self-tape auditions, which um, for anyone who has an agent or is trying to get commercial or film work, um, you do a lot of self-taping uh, and you have to have a reader who's off screen and you're responding to the camera while also responding to the reader. So um, my scene study students have been doing that, which hopefully will be useful to them uh, once they get out of this mess. And then my, my movement students have been, um, they're currently adapting a scene from a film or a television show and creating that scene, uh, adapting that scene without words. So they're doing a lot of um, physical storytelling, uh, movement to create character. They can use some, um, you know, sounds and onomatopoeias, but uh, no, no words. So they're having to figure out how to tell a story without the use of dialogue. That's fantastic. And I do mean that. I will totally steal that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm hoping to get my theater, uh, theater specific related course next year at DOS, which is in the works. So I'm hoping that that'll happen. Um, how about you tell us how you get involved in theater? Is it a lifelong pursuit? Did it start in elementary school? Um, how did you get into it? It did start in elementary school, actually. Um, so I am or have always been fairly athletic and um, kind of competitive. And I don't come from a family in the arts at all. My mom was a single mom, um, but she did a really great job of carting me around um, to all the different um, sporting events that I was doing. I had a neighbor who I was really competitive with in the third grade and everything she could do, I felt I could do it better. Um, and she happened to do some theater and I went to go see her performance uh, in the Pied Piper. Um, and I remember I was wearing like my, my tennis skirt and I had my racket in the car. Um, and I remember watching her on stage and thinking, I can do that too. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I made my mom enroll me in acting lessons uh, and started doing performances myself. And um, what started off as kind of a competitive uh, thing with a neighbor friend became a, a passion of mine. That's awesome. Um <laughs> That's it's I suppose maybe that is you got on an early path. So do you feel that that helped you in an early path of becoming a professor so young at, you know, IUS and teaching theater and being uh, are you a co-department uh, chair or co-department dean? 
Uh, no, technically, so I'm head of performance, but um, actually because the person who had my job before me is currently dean, um, I'm still considered visiting because if he decided he didn't want to be dean anymore, he could come back and take his job. So um, everything's temporary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this is my fourth year full time. I think he has three more years as dean and then he's going to retire um, so I'm, I'm pretty much a, uh, solid force in the department and I'm the only performance professor, but, um, I'm still considered to be visiting. Um, and, and to answer your question, I think that having started at such a young age, I mean, obviously has benefited me in terms of experience. I've done all sorts of shows with all sorts of age groups, um, one thing I have found, though, because a lot of the students at IUS come to theater um, for the first time in college, and they don't have the experience that I did, um, say, in elementary school or middle school, or I went to a performing arts high school, so it's kind of been um, a staple in my life forever. I, I've really struggled sometimes um, knowing what is common knowledge and what is not common knowledge, like using language with my students and them saying, what is a monologue? I've never heard that <laughs> word before. But to me, that seems like just something that everybody knows. And so um, it's been a nice test for me to figure out how to communicate some of these earlier skills um, from a different perspective. So that's been kind of fun and refreshing. But I also like I like to have green students because they're more moldable and they don't come with prior knowledge. So they don't say like, well, my teacher always said that you do this, you know, that they're, they're really easy and flexible um, and malleable to work with. Yeah. And I feel as though those moments uh, where they really shine, you can see the direct results of the things that you taught them. Uh, yeah. We did, we did short plays in my humanities class this year. And uh, I was really excited to like see the students do exactly what I told them. And I was like, <laughs> oh, wow, I know for a fact I taught you that. That was great. Yeah. Um, like watching my, I actually made my students be the director, be the costume designer, be the set designer. Uh, so we had, we ran the gambit uh, because I, I knew that some of the, the students wouldn't be into acting. Not everybody wants to do that when you're doing a broad study course. So I found ways for them all to get engaged and what, sitting back, my favorite thing was sitting back watching my directors direct. They yeah. would go to an actor and they'd be like, what do you feel in this scene? What's your motivation? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, hot damn. I know I told you that. <laughs> so, um, those things are a blast. So when you like, you're right, they are malleable. Uh, you're getting someone that you can mold and, and hopefully do it right. Uh, we assume that we all know. And, uh, so you hope that you're teaching them the right way. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but those things are really fun. Um, now let's, it's, um, I know with theater people, there's certain associations, uh, many, um, things that can be misconceptions or things that we just kind of get thrown into a pot. What are some of the things that you've encountered as a theater person where somebody assumed something about you that maybe is false? Sure. Um, I think the interesting thing about theater people is that um, it is a group and we call them a them, but 
the group itself is made up of a ton of different types of people um, who come to theater and creating art um, and creativity from a different background, different personality types. I think everyone assumes that theater people are loud and rambunctious and dramatic, um, which is, which is, uh, you know, a lot of stereotypes are, um, they, they come from truth. Um, but I think a big portion of theater people, not just on the tech side or not just on the directing and stage management side, but even actors, um, find, are really um, self-conscious personally and find freedom on stage. And I, and I have to say that um, I've recognized that in my students a lot and, and also realize that that is who I am. I'm actually a very um, shy person. I get really anxious in so social situations. Um, I, I'm a homebody. I'd rather be with my dog than, than most people. But on stage, it's always been my place to find that freedom and open up and be the dramatic person that I'm probably not in real life at all. And I've seen that in some of my students and it's been really cool to watch these um, introverted, introspective personalities kind of bloom and blossom on the stage. It's just kind of got a different um, magic about the, the live setting and a separation from, from the audience where you feel as another character, you can be something that you're not. And so I, I think the biggest misconception is that everyone is confident and flamboyant and dramatic and thinks they're the, sh I don't know if you can cuss on this, but um, <laughs> they think that they're all that in a bag of chips. And a lot of actors um, are not that way uh, and are very introspective and um, introverted uh, in their real lives. That was a perfect answer. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly that's exactly how I feel. Uh, I haven't worked with I'm going to have Matt Street on the podcast uh, and he's not uh, as like really over the top as he is as many of the characters that I've seen him play. Um, and he's very introspective. Uh, Alec is, is very much the same way. Very. Uh, very quiet dude, just kind of, but really thoughtful. I really enjoyed being in shows with those guys and sharing a dressing room with them because our conversations were so fun and so all over the place. And, um, yeah, that's really interesting. And also like you get maybe like jocks and things of that nature that are drawn to it. You know, I trained, uh, in MMA for years, which was kind of a unique thing for me coming into an acting class. And like, I decided to do a scene about jujitsu. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it really does bring people from from all walks of life. And I think that's an interesting point because it, you know, we had retired uh, two retired dudes that were in the Shakespearean play that we did. One with the golden voice. My God, I could listen to that guy talk all day. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's so unique. Uh, and I love that it brings those people together and gives people who would otherwise be introverted and outlet mm -hmm. and it's like i guess the assumptions come that you are doing that but the whole point of acting is pretending right so you aren't necessarily that person you know you might think that donald sutherland's an asshole because he always plays that <laughs> <laughs> but hello he's acting yeah, so cool. <laughs> right so that's a great that's a great point um what is something that you are into outside of theater that might surprise people Sure. Um, 
Hmm. I have a lot of different interests. I think, I think once you get to a, I don't, I can't speak for everyone, but I think once you get to a level where theater is your career and your job, um, I don't have many hobbies that involve theater because it makes me feel like I'm working. Um, so even sometimes going to plays, uh, it takes me a while to get out of my head because it makes me feel like I am working, critiquing, directing. Um, so I have a lot of hobbies outside of theater. Um, I love working out. Um, I, my husband and I work out a lot together. Um, we've been boxing a lot lately. Not each other, but we've been doing like, <laughs> boxing, yeah, boxing techniques and stuff. We have a bag in the basement he's been teaching me. Um, Marriage like, counseling, however you can find yeah. it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like lifting weights and we do like 5Ks, 10Ks together. So that's something that we do a lot together. Um, I'm an aerialist, so I do aerial silks. I am a, actually uh, an instructor. So that's kind of performance related, but I enjoy that because it's, um, I don't speak while I'm doing it. So it's all physical and it feels like a nice form, a, a merge of athleticism and creativity at the same time to do like trapeze and lira and silks. Um, but yeah, so I love physical stuff, which probably, probably translates into my physical theater work. Um, I like to bake a ton I love sports. I like basketball, Kentucky basketball, Louisville City, football, soccer, whatever you want to say. Um, You're preaching to the choir. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, I, I love sports. Um, and I've gotten more into professional football since I got married, but I've always been a huge basketball fan. I think it's because of where we are. There's no um, professional sports, and so we're all about those college sports. And I went to the University of Kentucky and – traditionally or at least in my day the football team's not been that stellar um so I've always been a basketball fan and I'm newly at football I say newly well I've been married I, last eight ten years I've been a football fan it's interesting that in the things that might surprise you come back to many of those preconceived misconceptions mm -hmm. like I, I've met a bunch of theater people that are mega sports fans yeah. and uh, that's an association that you don't normally make uh, especially, I, I think a lot of that goes back to like the high school kids when you're in that group, you know, normally your theater people aren't associated with sports or being athletic. So, yeah. well, you know, something that's interesting, um, uh, in, in two different kind of other groups in the theater world and in the academic world, again, this is a generalization, um, but I have more theater friends who are into sports than I do academic friends who are into sports. Um, like one of my best friends is a philosophy professor and she just calls it all sports ball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cause it, it is all the same to her, but I, I, I have a lot of friends in theater who, who love sports, have their sports teams play sports, um, as a physical and mental release, you know, it's, um, I think that's a huge misconception. Well, and the thing is, is that if you, I always preach this to my students, if you are an athlete, you have inadvertently prepared yourself for, for performance because you have spectators watching you. You're comfortable in your body, in space, in front of spectators. So that's like the first big hurdle. Um, so athletes take to the stage pretty well. That's really, yeah, that's a good point. I, I have a, couple basketball players in my humanities courses 
And uh, yeah, man, they, they seem to really just kind of step in and like just move people out of the way. They're like, here, I had um, a student who's a wrestler and I had a young lady who was out of class the day that we were supposed to have the performance and the other students were freaking out. They're like, Mr. Morris, she's not here. How are we going to do this? She's a main character. And I was like, um, I hate to sound like a jerk. Figure it out. It's up yeah. to you. Uh, either director steps in or one of the other members. I'm sorry, but that's theater. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. figure it out before I can, I go to another group to help them with a couple things to finishing touches before I can finish helping them. I turn back and my buddy who's a wrestler is in a dress wearing, <laughs> wearing a wig yes. and going over the lines. And I was like, figured it out. And they go, yeah, he, he's, he's going to do it. And I go, that's a freaking lutely. He is. That's amazing. That's perfect. That's and, awesome. uh, you know, if you can get out there and not get slammed on your head, putting on a dress and putting on a wig is nothing. Right. You know, so, yeah, you're right. There there are some crossovers there. It's a good point. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe uh, share a couple of the people that maybe it's national playwrights or national directors or a high school teacher, college professor, some people in your life that really, truly inspired you the most. Sure. Um, so... Uh, I definitely have um, a couple of theater teachers that have been a huge inspiration to me. Um, in high school, I had um, a teacher named Mr. Bradford, um, and he was super intimidating. Um, he was, I mean, he was like your classic, what you think of old school theater professor. He was a, a black man in his uh, 60s and 70s, who was from just like classically trained, um, loved opera and musical theater and was um, just had a very intimidating way about him. And I was super shy in high school. So it took me a couple, I've had him my sophomore year and then again, my senior year. Um, and he taught me something that I think is super important for theater people, but really for anyone. Um, and that is how to take criticism and how to take feedback. Um, uh, because I, my first year with him, I crumbled. Anytime he would like look at me funny, which was all the time. Um, <laughs> he had a judgmental way about him where he didn't have to say anything. You just knew like he was not impressed. Um, and that would crush me. And over time, I, I grew to kind of understand what it meant to take that feedback, make it my own, um, and, and, and take it as a constructive, instructive feedback, not just meant to crush me and, uh, and, and put me down. Um, and also take it as a challenge and work harder to um, impress the next time. So I think I, I learned that from him. And I learned that um, that theater is a discipline, which I don't think enough people understand. They, they think it's all like fun time, fun playtime. Um, and the best artists are the most disciplined people you'll, you'll ever meet. Um, I think other, I had a couple of professors in, in college that, that were really supportive of me, but pointed out, um, I, I think a lot of people <laughs> have pointed out my own faults, not faults, but maybe areas where I was a little bit lacking. Uh, and I think, um, those people have impacted me the most. Uh, the people who pat me on the back, I don't think have 
had that much of a lasting impact in my life. It's those who have challenged me. Um, and I had definitely a couple of college professors and graduate school professors who, who challenged me a ton and were not afraid to point out my tics, my insecurities. Um, I had a professor in college, Nancy Jones, who, um, she was right about me. I'm, I'm very intellectual, like I said, kind of shy. Um, and she said one day, um, you have all of the intellectual needs for theater, but none of the intuition. And, and what you should be doing is dancing on tables naked, but you are so stuck in your head. I was like, what, what does that mean? And she wasn't actually <laughs> telling me to dance on tables naked, but I did, I had a huge stick up my bum. I was all about the cerebral um, aspects of taking on a character. And it wasn't coming across because I wasn't allowing myself to find the freedom, be able to fail and make a mistake. I was so worried about, um, doing everything perfectly the first time. And I wasn't, um, allowing myself the freedom to experiment and to fail. Uh, and I think those words, um, have stuck with me. I still, I mean, I still am an intellectual performer and it's really important for me to find ways to leave my brain at the door and to allow my creativity, uh, and sense of freedom to take over. But I definitely think that because of her, um, I think just knowing what your obstacles are is the first step in overcoming them. Um, so that had a pretty big impact on me. Yeah, I think that's that's great because it's it's easy to you know, especially as a teacher, professor, it's it's really easy to stay in the positive because that part's easy. Yeah, um, and it, it's really upsetting even to us. And that is something that's really taken me a little bit of practice is how to give constructive criticism. And that's, that's across the board for anything that I'm doing in the classroom. Um, because you don't want people to shut down, but again, you want to be tough so that they understand what things that they really need to change if they want to be great at it. Um, and as you talked about like that intellectual portion, um, of how you're going to, get an understanding of all the little crevices of a character that really make it gritty and that much deeper, uh, setting that aside and then understanding how to react to the other characters. Mm -hmm. Because most of what you're doing is not in solidarity. You're not up on stage alone most of the time. No, it's uh, listening and responding. Yeah. So I, I felt like that was one of my strengths. Like is I'm a pretty good listener. Like here I'm doing a podcast. I love listening to people and hearing other people's thoughts and, and things of that nature. And I've somehow managed to be with the same person for 18 years. So that quality <laughs> has to be in there somewhere. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's really important. And I think the, the things that you're sharing now as like a leader uh, and a director of so many plays might be great for some of your students to hear, just to hear some of the things that, you know, were problematic for you and how you had to fix things because humanizing some of, some of those things, especially from a leader uh, and you being a little bit vulnerable and admitting some of that stuff, I think that would be really helpful. Uh, and I try to do that with my, my students as much as I can because um, I know students at the high school age, their bullshit meters are pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So right. I try to try to be as honest as I can. Um, well, let's end this on a happy note. Sure. Not to say that any of that wasn't happy. Um, but share one of the funniest experiences that you've ever had in theater. I know there's probably a ton. Uh, theater is so much fun. And like you're, you work with so many people that are witty and quick. 
Uh, and so there's probably a ton, but maybe one that stands out to you. Yeah. Um, so I think this is because it's the most recent. I don't know if it is the funniest, but it stands out in my brain. Um, because before we went into quarantine, I was about to get into tech for a production called Dragons Love Tacos. That was my email. Um, Dragons Love Tacos with Stage One Family Theater, um, who is a company that I work with fairly, re- like fairly regularly. Um, you know, sometimes I take myself very seriously as an actor, um, but in this production, I was playing um, Blue Dragon, um, and my costume was a giant inflatable like blueberry suit. Um, and so I had, I had come up with uh, a lot of work that I wanted to do um, during the rehearsal process. And as we were about to venture into tech, they said, let's put her in the blueberry and just see, see what happens. Um, and it changed everything uh, because I didn't have the same mobility. Uh, and the other actors uh, who, because there were, there were four dragons. I don't know if you're familiar with Dragons Love Tacos, um, and a wonderful book um but blue dragon red dragon white dragon and uh green dragon oh my god i forgot um there are four dragons and each of the actors was given some sort of like giant head that was like six feet tall on top of their head or a tail that kept hitting everything um and so the first day that we got into our um our costumes we had to humble ourselves a little bit um because it just became unintentionally um, a Three Stooges show where we were hitting each other with our tails and our heads. Um, and every time I lift my arms above, um, I don't know, 45 degrees, my head would become hidden by the blueberry suit. Um, so I mean, eventually we were able to make some physical comedy out of the disasters. That I, the costumes were brilliant, but we just had not taken into account uh, what it would be like to be giant in giant <laughs> dragon suits. Um, so that was a sight to behold. And once you, once I was able to like stop pouting about all of the things that I had previously planned on doing and embraced the blueberry suit, um, <laughs> I was able to find some, some fun stuff. That's great. I love that. Um, well, I would love as a theater person, I would love to give you this opportunity as a means of uh, selfless promotion Oh, yeah. uh, but it's probably going to be tough because who knows when <laughs> when anybody's going to be able to do another show. So, uh, uh, but if you have anything that you want to plug, maybe you plug your program there at IUS itself. Uh, anything you want to talk about, share with anybody? Uh, sure. Um, yeah. So, so I had two projects going right before this got called off. I was heading into tech as an actor for Dragons Love Tacos, and I was starting a rehearsal process um, as a director at IUS. Um, for another children's show uh, called Elephant and Piggy, We Are in a Play. Both of those, whenever the world opens back up, both of those should continue to go on, um, I hope. You know, you have to work around things like um, performance rights and um, publication stuff. So once that gets all sorted out and the world starts to open back up, hopefully that will happen Again, um, you know, I don't even know what it's going to look like for the audience and, and what the audience is going to want as they re-enter the theater in terms of social distancing and being comfortable in a large in a large space again. So um, even with that, 
I hope to start to develop even just some some Zoom play readings, um, figure out how to use that Brady Bunch uh, aspect of Zoom, and I don't know, maybe do some Shakespeare. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, you let me know. I'd love to come back and do some Shakespeare with you. Yeah, and, don't uh, you work. <laughs> um, well, I'd like to take the, a quick moment just to thank you. Um, I wouldn't be where I'm, where I am. I wouldn't have taken several other theater courses had you not rekindled the flame and ran such a fun act, acting course. I mean that. Uh, I had Justin Baker on yesterday. I don't know if you remember him, uh, but we were in uh, one of your acting courses together. Me and him are friends because of that class, and you threw us in a scene together. Uh, oh, I do. I do remember him. Yes. Yeah, the Philadelphia. We did that yeah. scene together. And uh, we're still friends three years later. And uh, so you you are out here molding and changing lives. Uh, I know as a teacher, it's important to hear that stuff as you get uh, papers that you're grading and you're like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, you turn this in. So yeah. sometimes we you, have the downs. You hate me this much. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're like, I don't have time for this. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it's important to know that, you know, there are positive things. And I want to thank you for that. And also thank you for your time uh, sitting down with me for a few minutes. Uh, and I think that, that uh, my hope is that this will be important and, you know, other uh, theater, those people will see some similarities in you and appreciate your, your words. Thank you. My pleasure. Our next guest is a dear friend of mine. His name is Derek Palmer. He is a singer, actor, and all around one of my favorite people. In our discussion, we talk about our unique paths into the theater world and how the art is so welcoming. We also chat about the importance of black stories in theater and how those roles are currently changing in the world of performance. Overall, it was a pleasure to hear my friend relate his story and share his inspirations for pursuing live theater. I'm glad he made it there and that we're all able to enjoy his wonderful talents. Um, I'm Derek Palmer. I, um, not originally from Louisville or I don't know if we're announcing where we're from, but, um, <laughs> not originally from the area. I, um, originally from Arkansas. Um, that's, so that's where I started all my theater stuff. Um, I started kind of by accident, um, sixth grade, no, it was seventh grade. Take that back. Cause seventh grade was when I did my first show. Walking down the hallway, the drama teacher was like, hey, um, this is how I remember the story. Now, I, I could talk to her and see what <laughs> she thinks about it. But how I remember it, it was, it was hey, we want, need somebody to audition for the part of the lion and the Wizard of Oz. Can you stay after school? And I was like, well, my mama worked down in the cafeteria. You can go talk to her. <laughs> and it kind of worked out to where and I hadn't sang the thing before any of that or for her or in school. And it just so happened that she needed somebody to fit this costume. And I was a large enough guy to do so. And partially because she wanted the girl to, um, who was auditioning for the lion to be actually, actually be the witch. That was the whole thing. Um, and that's pretty much where I started singing and where I started understanding and enjoying theater, specifically musical theater. Um, and did those until, did shows until 11th grade? No, no, I was a sophomore. 
And then there were some things that happened, caused some problems. So I was like, I'm not doing a show again. And it took two separate incidents to happen for me to get back into theater. So it was um, my, it was my, my junior, let me get my life right. There are so many years. Um, It was my freshman year because we went to New York, the uh, the choir at Arkansas State. We went to New York. Um, Did, I knew people, but I wasn't like, into stuff and I wasn't going because I wasn't in the musical theater that much at the time, wasn't going to any shows or anything. Um, And then I get back and because of the fraternity that I'm in, we had to have one-on-ones with the different active members and went up to the dorm room of um, one of my friends, John. And I walked in and was like, what are you listening to? And he was like, oh my gosh, Derek, we have to start this from the beginning. And it just so happened to be Wicked. So I know Wicked is one of those hugely popular shows that you either love it or hate it because it's so popular and reached outside of just theater and Broadway to, um, to capture people, I guess, that it's weirdly polarizing. But I like fell in love with, fell back in love with the theater. So they're doing, uh, not doing shows, just listening and listening and listening. Um, and then after I graduated college, so I didn't do any shows in college. Um, I auditioned for two. And again, weird circumstances prevented me from doing those. And um, my first show, and this is why I have a love for this other show, um, a weirdly deep love for this show is uh, Shrek because I accidentally stumbled upon that one. A friend was auditioning. They had a, um, he posted on Facebook and was like, hey, I'm doing, I'm auditioning for this show. I went in to wish him luck. And he sent me a message saying, hey, Derek, you need to come audition for this show. You really need to come audition for this show. So a longer story, kind of shorter. I went in, auditioned, and got the part uh, of Donkey. I auditioned for Shrek, but I got Donkey and I was pissed. And all of a sudden, like during that first table read, I was like, okay. (laughs) Yes, this is the role I was meant for. (laughs) 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 Like the the role is so fun. It's it's it it did a lot. It it did a lot for me specifically. But um aside from that and all of that, um been doing shows ever since, maybe on on average, maybe one a year, um, mainly because I'm kind of lazy. <laughs> like I can only devote so much strength to one show. Um, <laughs> this year was going to be different and it still kind of can be different um, because we just finished hair. We just finished like in February. We closed hair, uh, not hairspray. We always have to say that apparently. Um, and then I was going to be in Grey Gardens. But because of COVID-19, that kind of went, went by the wayside. So, yeah, that's the somewhat long and short of it. There's <laughs> more in between, but we can break that down later, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny to me because it seems like so many people um, that are in the theater kind of have similar 
uh, trajectories back onto the stage that you and I've had. Mm-hmm. Um, you were one of the reasons that, you know, I, I would message you and be like, Hey, what do you think the show's coming up? What are your recommendations for me? And so on and so forth, because I hadn't been on a stage. Uh, I'm 37. And until last year, I hadn't been on a stage since high school. Right. And I take, uh, taken an acting course, um, at IUS and it really rekindled it. And since then I was really wanting to get back on a stage, didn't really know how to uh, go about that. So I kind of used you, um, and you know, the fact that you were at least doing a show a year and we're still a little bit more familiar and I appreciate you, you know, being that, that positive nudge there and Ashley Wallace too, give her a little shout out. Cause she would just yeah. be like little slides of auditions coming up. Hey, this is coming up. Just let me know. <laughs> and <laughs> until finally I got to do Shakespeare uh, as you like it with her. And that was great. And then in- that's, I will tell you, um, I don't, I, it's not that I don't, I, I enjoy theater in all forms. Mm. I may not, I, well, I appreciate theater in all forms. I may not enjoy it in all forms, <laughs> yeah. um, but you, I can say you did something that I don't think I could do. And you did something that I I don't know many people who started out doing, which is your first show or your first show back into the fray um, was freaking Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. Like I barely get through the, the lines in between my songs. <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to start out with fucking Shakespeare. Uh, I mean, it, it definitely cre- created its own unique learning curve. Mm-hmm. And uh, I forgot just how damn hard it was to memorize lines. Um, and it was even more difficult. Uh, I did Hunchback after that, which I didn't have it really, but one line in that. The music's hard enough. Uh, that show's incredibly difficult. Of all the things that I sang, uh, I did choir four years in high school, did all state, uh, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Hunchback is by far the hardest music I've ever done. Uh, it yeah. is extremely difficult. Three languages. Uh, there's Latin, Italian, and English. Uh, so you're singing uh, songs from three different languages in one show, and you're like, whose genius idea was this? Uh, it's beautiful. It's some of the most uh, beautiful uh, music that I've ever heard. The fact that they incorporate a, a full choir for the entire duration of the show, absolutely yeah. brilliant. It's amazing. Um, and then I went to Peter and the Starcatcher, which – you know, they had us playing multiple roles and it was mm-hmm. just such, it was fun, but it was tough, man. It's like, yeah. where am I? Where am I a tree? I'm a tree right here. Oh. <laughs> Great. And this scene, am I a tree or am I a mollusk? Am I a dude? Am I a mermaid? <laughs> Shit. I forgot. Uh, <laughs> but, but it also, but doing, having shows that have you, well, pretty much any show, but especially shows that have you doing, either multiple characters or doing multiple things Mm. playing the same character. Because if people don't know the backstage, um, the, the backstage atmosphere of a show is almost more active and more hectic than the onstage stuff. Almost and always. It's yeah. not, at, but where, where I'm getting to is it's not as, it's not like, oh, as the actor on the stage, once you're done, okay, you just go, once you're done with that scene or that moment mm-hmm. or whatever, you just go to the back and sit down. No, 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 no. Because with community theater, when you get off that stage, you're going to have to either 
get out of the way, depending on your part, get out of the way, or help somebody get dressed or move this set set piece to over here so that it could be prepped for somebody else. And that is your assigned job. And it all depends on where your normal exits and entrances are on that stage. So you, and, and between all of that, you have to remember, again, remember your lines, remember your costume changes, remember where your prop is supposed to be for the next scene. <laughs> and on, 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 on. Yeah. So it's, it, if nothing else, it teaches you or not teaches you, but it, it helps with your um, focus and organization. <laughs> yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. Uh, there's, we uh, talked about this, uh, my last, uh, podcast I just sat down right before I talked to you uh, with a couple educators, one of which is a, a theater teacher out of Valley high school. And, um, <laughs> he talked about what they call soft skills in school, which are things like how to talk in front of people, how to be empathetic to others, which are really not soft skills. Those are skills <laughs> like you need that shit. And, and theater is such a great way uh, to, to gain all that, dude. I mean, it's the greatest demonstration of teamwork that you're ever going to see. Right. I mean, you, somebody's going to make you look stupid if they don't do their job. A hundred percent. If you walk right. out on a stage and that light guy doesn't light you up, you're like a fucking idiot. You know, so it's like the spotlights over here and you're like, I'm on my mark. He just made me look like a dick. You right. know? So, I mean, you're depending on so many people and it, but it's beautiful mm -hmm. when it all, there has been nothing better. There's not too many things in my life that can compete when you're on that stage and everything happens. Right. Oh, dude. Oh, oh, like prime, prime example. Um, I'm not, I, I wasn't my part. So last year, late last year, for those obviously who don't know, um, I did dream girls and I was marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> like the, it's a, it's a show that it's hella expensive to put on. That's why people don't do it that much because it requires a lot. It, even if you, if you kind of skim over some things like some of the, excuse me, elaborate set changes or whatever. Um, it's, it's a very involved show and it is a very um, musically tiring show, but it also has way more moments in it that, that are those, Oh my gosh, this worked out so well and my life is complete. Or I could, I could have fucked up this whole performance but this one moment happened and no one will remember that I dropped a line. So it, for us, it was, it was a scene that I wasn't even in. Um, it was actually, it was two. Um, one of them was at the end of the first act um, is, and I am telling you where there's a, there's a, um, they're in the dressing room. So there's a dressing table and they're all in there. Everybody pretty much in the cast, but the extras and me are in there arguing with Effie, the lead female. Technically she's not the lead, but it, it's weird. It's weird. Um, but there's a, when she hits that last note, the way it's supposed to work out is the, and the way we had it is kind of like the original production where the, the dressing table 
um, is pulled backwards. And at the same time, the scrim or the, the uh, best way to describe a scrim is like a see-through curtain. Um, most scrims you can't see through that well, but ours is kind of old. Um, but <laughs> scrim comes down and at the same time, you go from backstage to onstage with the new set of the trio for which Effie was replaced. And during rehearsals, it was, it was a struggle because the, either the, the um, scrim didn't come down fast enough or the table didn't go back or the, uh, the girls didn't really know because of the music cue, didn't know really when to come in and start singing and whatnot. But I want to say it was open at night. Your, your adrenaline is up and your head is everywhere. And you were like, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do here. Let's just hope it all goes well. And when it does, when that last note hits and that scrim comes down and those girls walk out in those shiny purple outfits, it's just spectacular. And the crowd is up cheering. And it's like, okay, we don't have to do anything else good tonight. <laughs> you know, you work hard. You, you work like you're supposed to, to to make sure the rest of the show goes well. But at that point, like, and I'm, I'm not even in the scene. I'm just yeah. there like, oh, yeah, it happened. It happened. It worked out. So those those moments you live for but going i guess going back to what you were saying about the um about you know the soft skills soft skills <laughs> yeah. um quote unquote it it's for some of us those skills translate differently like, or we get something different. Like, like, I can speak in front of a crowd and be fine. I would rather be a character on the stage. Like, I, I feel way more, like, people get extremely nervous actors. A lot of them, um, especially, again, in community theater, but if, and if they don't have a lot of experience yet, they right before the curtain opens and they get nervous and they they get jittery and they're like, Oh, I'm going to miss my line and this and that and the other. I will say I stopped getting nervous. After I started theater back, I want to say I stopped getting nervous about a couple of shows into Shrek because when you, when you realize that you get to step outside of yourself even though you're con technically confined in the box of that character, it's a it's a real freedom because you get to you get to step into something or a a personality or a, or a life if you're playing a human um, that you wouldn't that you wouldn't necessarily get to step into otherwise. Yeah. So yeah. Like playing playing animals, apparently that's my thing. Playing animals in the undead. Because <laughs> hey, I play. <laughs> we all got a niche, man. It's fine. You just own and it. You know, I'm not mad at it. I'm not <laughs> mad at it. The 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 two the three human characters I've played um, since, and all of this I'm saying is since uh, high school. Um, was the monster in Young Frankenstein, which. That one was spectacular only because all of my lines happened within the last 10 minutes of the show. Mm. So and I say 10 minutes. It was really the last five minutes of the show. Yeah. It was just a, a whole bunch of grunting 
<laughs> and and screaming. That's that's all it was. Yeah. Um, but it and this is um, I, this is gonna sound like whatever it's gonna sound like to to people. Um, if you go into a show or go into an audition or go into just the world of theater, um, and you make and you know make efforts, you just be your authentic self. You then realize that you don't have to try that hard because one, two, I want to say three roles that I've had. I've had to, I don't want to say it like, because it, it is, makes people feel bad. Cause I don't like when people do it. <laughs> Admittedly um, is you don't, they don't precast me, but it's like, we have somebody who's going to work for this part. Mm. And so I get reached out to and end up, it ends up working out to where it's a role that I never would have done or a role that um, I didn't know about. And then I gained this extreme appreciation for it. So, but I always say if, and I even tell the director, like, if you think there's somebody better for this, please put them in here because I want to audition for um, a show. I'm not a competitive person, but I want to make sure that everyone has the same opportunities. And if you feel somebody is, is better for this part, put them in there because this is your vision for this show. Right. So that's what happened with me with hair. You kind of stole my point. You stole my point before I made it. I was going to say that exact thing. Like if, if you know somebody who's a director and, or if you have had any bit of that working in a classroom, I'm kind of a, a director of like eight different little mini sections and I respect them, you know? And like you said, when you were upset that you weren't Shrek, then you sat down and you realized the vision you had for yourself wasn't right because we're we're not outside of ourselves and sometimes we don't even know what's good for us. We might have a, right. a role that we're absolutely in love with. Like I absolutely love um, John's character from Rent and I would love to do it, but <laughs> traditionally it's being played by a black guy. Eh? Uh, so it's our Tom, sorry, not John. Tom, yeah, Tom. Yeah. Tom. And um, you, you were giving me that uh, deer in the headlights. Like you're like, what? It was, was like, the deer in the headlights because I was trying to, it was like, like I know John? John isn't right, but I can't no. remember to save my <laughs> life what his name was. <laughs> but, it's, but it's like, I will probably be more um, Roger. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm being realistic with myself, if I were to ever do that show, I love that show. But that's what a director's got to do. They got to make those choices. And to them, it's, it's easier because they're on the outside looking in. They're like, well, you're right. clearly you're so-and-so, you right. know, and so that's that's interesting and, and it's so funny that you that you talk about getting going back to a point you made a little while ago is getting to be outside of yourself in a character and letting that take away the nerves right I completely agree uh, I was that way when I was in a metal band um, in a way when you're you're doing that kind of band and it's it's very over the top metal is very theatrical uh, in so many different ways. I mean, you have bands like War, you have bands like Ozzy Osbourne. It's theatrics, man. Yeah. And I got to go out there and be somebody else. I never got nervous. Not one show. 
now with acting, just because I was gone so long, I did get a little nervous. But yeah. once, but once we were like through the rehearsal process and things of that nature, um, I felt pretty good. And on Peter and the Star Cancer, I'll be completely honest. Mm-hmm. It took me until the second weekend to feel comfortable, um, yeah. just because I was doing two shows at once, and I missed a good portion of the first few rehearsals, um, which I didn't feel as um, prepared. I really didn't. And mm-hmm. I busted my ass. Uh, my poor wife knew every line to the fucking show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm running lines with her every day. And, but I don't know. I just, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to work with the people in the show as much as I'd wanted to. Cause I'd missed yeah. some of that b- beginning. Uh, they had actually replaced me with a bucket. That's oh. an ongoing joke for placement purposes. So when they were staging things, they were like, you're, you're better than the bucket. We'll give you that. And I was like, <laughs> fuck every last one of you. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's, 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 so with that, um, you, do, doing a show, you understand, you, even if you haven't heard any of the stereotypes or whatever of theater people, theater kids, um, you do a show and you realize that these are, this is a very unique group of people. Mm. It's, but it's very eclectic, especially in community theater. It's very eclectic. And you, you realize that whatever, that even those of us who do theater somewhat regularly, we we come into a show with those preconceived notions of how things are going to work out because of our outside of the theater world experiences. So just like when you go into, let's say, a new place of employment, you go in, there are people who've been there years and years and years, and it's less about them adjusting to you, but you adjusting to them. And you, you're having to learn all of these personalities and on and on. When it comes to theater and the people in it, it's easier to step into a room and be like, okay, these are my people. They get me on a level. Especially if somebody you've worked, a group of people, or at least one person you've worked with before. And that's how it was with hair. So for about a month, they were looking for somebody to play the part that I, that I had. And um, they were going through the rehearsal process, learning the music. They had a, a number because the show was about hippie life. So it was a whole bunch of bonding moments. And I missed most of those early moments for, I missed about a month to a month and a half of those early moments. And when I finally agreed to do it, um, mainly because again, laziness. It was like I just got done with Dream Girls. I don't want to add this to it. <laughs> um, I I went in and I, saw, I immediately saw like three people that I had either worked with recently or worked with in the very first show that I did in Louisville, which was Company. Um, and it just I was like, okay, so this should be fine. This should be okay. And that Friday, so it was maybe a couple of days later, that Friday, they were having another one of those pre-opening night gatherings. We still had a month or so to go. 
And I canceled all of my plans that night and went to the went to the party. And it immediately when I walked in, you you just felt the gonna be weird to say, but felt the theatrical bond. Like these these people that I don't even know, because the the party was smaller than the cast, obviously, um, and most of the people in that room I had no, had no experience with, but we all had that connection, we all had that bond, and I got a little bit of that whole replaced by a bucket thing, <laughs> because again for that show that month when they were going over some of the well, actually after I joined the cast. We had a um, people were being getting sick, and I was out for a little bit, and like almost everybody in the cast had the flu at some point, and so we needed they needed to go over the choreography for my number, which I didn't have much, and they put the like the director said I'm gonna stand in. You you saw the did you see the show? Hair no that no. was one, okay. one of the, one of the few I've missed yeah. Okay, so there's a there's a song called "Colored Spade" that is my character song. He's the Black Power kind of kind of character, and it's literally nothing but racial slurs and stereotypes. <laughs> so, so we have this short. I don't. I, I'm, I'm probably somewhere adjacent to Jewish white dude. coming in here and like I'm going to stand in for this part and then I think he didn't realize exactly what was going on so it was just like we didn't know what some of the cast were like we don't know which part we're at because the director refuses to say most of these words (laughs) so I'm just like so so there were some of them were like oh Derek we're so glad you come back because like after I got sick or whatever and came back they were like we're glad you're back because now we can we can know that when you say the N word right here, we know that we're supposed to do this because <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't hear it the last time. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it, it yeah. Uh, oh, I guess people doing construction. I behind mean, me. to his defense, it would have been much much worse if he said those words with all the conviction. He's just like ah, and that, and people are like, um, well, say well, what. <laughs> well, hair hair is one of those interesting shows to where everyone in the cast says that word or those some some very some some as as SpongeBob put it in one of his episodes, some sentence enhancers. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh is it blasphemous that I've never seen hair? I'm familiar with like five of the songs. It's not. It's not because that's the weird thing about hair. It um, there's there's like there was an article written in the um, in the seventies about the fact that, um, and it's it actually happens in the first episode of Mrs. America. It's on Hulu, I think, um, where they're talking about the musical, or there's a moment where they're talking about it, and they were like, oh. They're trying to push their agenda by giving you popular poppy songs and um, sneaking in their their message and their agenda. 
let the sun shine in, good morning, starshine, um, Aquarius. Those songs, they were like, oh, those, those are major hits and they've been released as singles and all these artists are singing them. But they're also pushing this movement that we don't like. We need people to go to war and not be rebellious and this and that and the other. So that's one of the amazing things about musical theater. My favorite, I'm, I'm really, I'm talking about shows that I've been in, mainly because that's where most of my information comes from. But that's how it was with the Black community, for the most part. And a little song called And I'm Telling You, I'm Not Going. Mm. Um, because most people knew it as a single that was released in the 80s. Well, a lot of people knew it as a single released in the 80s that was Grammy-winning number one hit. Even more people knew it because of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, there's an episode where Will was um, something, I don't remember anything about the episode other than Uncle Phil was trying to keep Will from doing something and Will was like, I got something for you. He goes and turns on this tape and it's, and I'm telling you not going and he lip syncs to it and it's beating on, on Uncle Phil and all this other random stuff. <laughs> Hilarious scene. But that's where a lot of us knew about that song. And then all of a sudden, Dream Girls comes out, the movie, and people are like, wait, 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 wait. That song is from here? Well, a little bit before that, too. But when the movie came out was when it was really like, oh, this song came from here. And that's when people started realizing that, okay, there's more to this, there's more to this song and more to this show than we actually thought. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the, I know I'm doing a lot of talking right now, but it's, that actually leads into the, I think what I'm calling the lacking connection between the, the greater African-American minority population and musical theater or just theater in general. We will go see a Madea play. We will go see a popular show that we know that was based on a movie. So that's why I got that's why I got a lot of people pissed off about the Wiz when it came through Louisville um, sometime last year. The show was a hot mess. They advertised it as something different, and they didn't get out of it what they wanted. Um, that's how that's how it was with Dreamgirls and, and the Color Purple. The Color Purple doesn't have any music from the movie in it. The movie isn't a musical; it just has like maybe three or four songs in it. Right. Um, but people get, I went to, I saw, I saw a production of it. Uh, it was a community theater production back home and people got pissed off because they were like, I didn't come I you know, the show, it was good and whatever, but they didn't have, um, God's trying to tell you something or this song or that song. I'm like, you don't know, you don't know anything about the theater, which I can't blame you, but, it's unfortunate that you have to put a disclaimer at the beginning of the show saying, hey, if you're coming in expecting um, the thing you saw in the movie, you're not going to get it. Yeah. And we have a greater disconnect because for, for us, and hell, I, even I say it sometimes, they're like, oh, that's a white thing. Mm. So a yeah. lot of people associate 
musicals or the theater in general with all oh, that being a white thing because that was it was a luxury at a time at at one time and it still kind of is to some extent to go and see a show right to go see these people perform and do whatever and it just never became something that was deeply ingrained into mm-hmm. into our I guess our society even though we are crazy musical people well, it's <laughs> like, unbelievable yeah but we will and we'll see we'll see a very theatrical concert like we'll see beyonce do costume changes and come out of a robot suit and all this other stuff but we won't go see we're we're not i won't say we won't we're not as inclined to go see a show mm, yeah and so it surprised a lot of people with dream girl specifically um for us when we did it here at the uh, community center it surprised a lot of people because with the audience the audience a lot of these audience members didn't know that um these shows could be done here you didn't have like where did all these amazing black actors come from like we've been here or this black talent like we've been here you just we just haven't been collected like this in a while <laughs> yeah. on, on you know on a for a show then they've done they've done the color purple before and they've done some other shows with predominantly african-american cast but um it's nice it's dream girls again is one of those weird shows where it's nice to not see us as subordinates mm-hmm. yeah as, and as slaves so that's where i guess a bigger part of its popularity comes from and uh, and for the for the actual people who put on the show, they're like, "Oh my gosh, y'all came out in droves for this!" Like, did you not see Black Panther last year or the year before? Oh, yeah, no doubt you broke the records because all you had to do was make a quality product, Tyler Perry, yeah. and um, we'll come and we'll continue to come. So, it's a long yeah, rant. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, I swear to God, you're inside my head as you were talking about that. I was going to ask you that question as to why, because I was blown away by maybe some of the people that were saying that same thing about the the audience changing and the dynamic of the audience being dramatically different at Dream Girls. But it, I went and saw once on this island at Actors Theater, and it was very much the same thing. Uh, so the you know individuals in the black community they will come out. If yeah. you have a quality product, because Once on this Island was literally one of the best things they've ever done at Doctor's Theater. Mm-hmm. And that's saying a lot yeah. because, I mean, they, they do quality theater. It was fantastic. And, yeah, I'm hoping that, what, you know, what maybe some people refer to is the Hamilton effect, you know, where he took a story with just certainly all white people and decided to turn the script upside down and cast individuals from multiple ethnicities on purpose, you know, to show yeah. that it could be done. So I'm really hoping that catches on. It seems as though it, it is. Uh, and I'm glad that that is changing. Um, so it, and that, and I, I always tend to go down the, get yeah, down the road of race when it comes to stuff like this, but the Hamilton effect is a, is a great thing. I'm all, you know, I'm all for it. Part of the issue with that is, well, Lin-Manuel Miranda did this because he knew that if anybody else would have done this show or done a, this story, not necessarily the show, 
but anyone else would have done this story, it would have been cast like every other show is cast usually. If it's not a story centered around the African-American experience, then you can almost guarantee that they will say, oh, we open cast for this show. It's normally two situations. We open cast for this show and the quote best person for this show or for this part is um plain Mac white man over here <laughs> yeah and um but then or the op- or the not the opposite but or the other reason they give is this show is written as a vehicle for this one actor or actress mm. And so, prime example for me, personally, this is my personal opinion on this. I adore Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, same. I have a great, great, great appreciation for Ben Platt and his voice. But, and this same thing with Wicked and uh, Elphaba, um, and Adina Menzel. There were actors and actresses who came not long after they left those roles, who for me were better vocalists and better actors for those roles. Mm-hmm. But those parts were vehicles for those characters. So it's it's like, what do you do? <laughs> you yeah. know. But well, I know what I say. What do you do? The easy part is when you say you're going to open cast for a role, or you're just going to cast for a role. Cast it. Do it. Yeah. Just cast it with the best actor. Cast it, or the best actor that comes through. Um, cast it with the um, the best vocalist when that person comes through. Um, and you know they have to fit the look. You have a certain look, but. Um, to me, there's was a Jordan Fisher. He recently did um, played um, Mark. Yeah, he played Mark in the Rent Live on Fox or something. Um, he before the whole shutdown, he was Evan Hansen, and everything that I've heard from this man. Number one, he has a spectacular range. And it's comfortable. He's not forcing any of it. Um, but yeah, he he's he released some videos before and after the shutdown. And I have I adore this man's voice a bit more than Ben Platt. Just because it's it has a more innocent quality to it. And everything again, Ben can sing his ass off. But is it it was wasn't the right role for him. He won a Tony for it, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But was he the not the right role? Was it the best fit at the time for the role? We don't know who auditioned for these parts. Right. That's we true. just don't know. Yeah. But I refuse to believe that in some cases that was the best person you could pick for. That was the best thing that came through the audition. Mm. And then come to find out his daddy was one this is the weird connection. His daddy was one of the producers for Wicked. Mm. 
So he already had this this platform, I guess. Um, and again, not knocking him as a as a performer or person or anything, but I do feel that there that's one of the things that happens is we have to get the Temptations or the Color Purple or um, Dream Girls or shows like that to to make sure that we have roles, and that's yeah. why it's such a that's why it's such a big deal um, for us when. A, a black person gets cast in these non-traditional black roles or these roles that weren't originally black characters. Yeah. Um, late last year, the first person to be, uh, what's her name? Glenda. The first African-American to play Glenda. And of course, some bootleg videos came out of just like her singing some of the, I know I'm like, she's spectacular. Yeah. And it shouldn't be a shock, but it's at this, my shock, their shock more comes from, oh my gosh, she can sing this part. Yeah. And my shock comes from, oh my God, why in the hell she been doing this forever? Right. Well, <laughs> and me being a fan of Shakespeare, uh, Actors Theater two years ago had done a, a modernized version of Macbeth. And the Banquo in that show was a black guy. Mm. He was the best portrayal of that character i've ever seen he was amazing he was yeah. the show the Macbeth was he was okay uh he might hear this hey buddy you're okay <laughs> but banquo was amazing uh and lady Macbeth was black as well and she was amazing holy shit um so i'm with you like seeing these other people, and, and I remember Emily being fairly fond of Banquo as well. He was quite handsome. Uh, so that, <laughs> that didn't hurt either. Um, but yeah, man, you, you start wondering to yourself, and it creates this defeatist attitude. Um, I'm, I don't face it, obviously, as a white dude, so, you know, but I, I'm sure that at certain points you said to yourself, I'm not even going to bother trying for that. Oh, oh, many times. Yeah. Many times I've skipped out on auditioning for a show because I, I may give some BS excuse of like, oh, I had this to do, I had that to do. But a lot of times it's like, I, I know I'm not going to get a part that doesn't have um, number one or number two behind it. <laughs> yeah, so nice. I'm, I'm just not going to do it. And I don't have, I'm, I, I, I am a, Whitney Houston, not vocal quality, like prime, prime Whitney. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not comparing myself in that manner. What I'm saying is personally, I feel like I rely my, my saving grace in any show that I'm in is the fact that I can kind of sing the parts <laughs> and yeah. I can read music. Um, that's definitely huge. not the yeah. I mean, like, it's to to come in and stay like there's a couple of times where even with hair, um, Julie, the music director, love her. She, I think it was the first rehearsal, um, and she said, "What well, I had a, I had to go over my part by myself because I had was late, you know, joining cast and everything." And she was like, um, "So where you know where do you want to start?" And I said, oh, we can start at like measure, whatever, whatever. She's like, wait, 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 wait. Just from that one line, she was like, wait, you can read music? I'm like, yeah. I'm, I, I'm, out of, I'm out of practice with my sight reading, but yeah. I can sight read music. Sight reading's hard. 
Yeah, I didn't learn sight reading until my freshman year in college. Thank you, Dr. Miller. Um, Senior year of high school for me. (laughs) But that was the thing. I didn't learn how to sing read music. Hold on, I was. I played. I played. I played. You know, an instrument throughout all high school, junior high, high school. But you couldn't tell me to sing a sing a note and find it on the staff or anything. But um, yeah, I, I got sidetracked. I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> um, the uh, thing that I'm, I found that thus far, you know, this is uh, about five episodes in or so. Um, I really like hearing who inspirations are for people. Uh, and uh, I was mentioning to you, I got an unexpected answer in one of my education ones uh, that brought me to tears and I, I threatened you. And so yes, if you make me you. cry again, I'm going to be upset. Uh, but I am ready. Tissues are here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but who are some inspirations? Like, it, Was it a teacher in one of your classes? Was it somebody outside you know, um, of that atmosphere and out there in on Broadway, Leslie Odom Jr. or somebody yeah. like that? Um, I can honestly say that I don't have a specific person because I'm always one and this, I do the same thing with my friends. I have, I have groups of friends and certain individual friends where I get certain things from and like with certain groups, I can have nothing but serious conversations with or certain friends, nothing but serious conversations with. And that's where I get my joy from that, that relationship. Uh, that and, ain't our group. Yeah, no. And <laughs> see, that's, that's <laughs> on a little bit, but like with certain, with certain groups, most of my interactions with them are just, I need an amazing laugh today or this moment or whenever I see it. It's not like I go out and say, Oh, I need to, I, I need this today. So let me go find these people. It has to be a natural flow kind of thing. So for me, I I have pockets of inspiration from people. Um, My support comes from my friends and family, my my mother and my stepdad. Oh, excuse me. That was not a cry. That was burp. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My mother, my stepdaddy, um, my brothers and sisters, they've, they've either always outwardly supported me by coming to a show um, or by not criticizing me or judging me for doing shows or singing. We all had our little niche that we kind of fit into. And mine was more of the arts. So I never got any, any hate for it. Actually, I got some hate because I didn't go into it more. Um, like I started out as a music major and I didn't stick with it for multiple reasons. Um, and every time my mama, when I would come home and my mama said, would talk to her friends when it was like, Oh, Derek is a, um, he's a radio TV major, but he's thinking about going back and getting that music degree. Like she hardcore. And I think she still does wanted me to do that. But like friends and family have always been like major supports on different levels. Y'all, like you and Emily coming coming to shows, asking me about what's going on, what I'm doing next, um, aside from just being friends. <laughs> um but like outside of outside of that, it's been um different artists. Um when it comes to when it comes to the theater, 
most of them are female, honestly. Audrey McDonald, always, always number one. Um, she has, she's one of those people who you, you, no one has ever had a bad word to say about her because she always is just genuine or she acts the part extremely well. She, um, I, I, I draw from a lot of, a lot of R and B artists. Um, it's like I said, it's everywhere. I, if, if I can find something that a person does, a person says that inspires me, I always try to try to take it and emulate it at a, a vocal style or um, something that they something that they put out into the universe, some kind of some line or even the way somebody acts, acts something. So if 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 I'm watching a show and I see, oh, this is what they did. I see why they did it. I see why they held this note or added this run. So I start finding that person's music or finding that person's work and doing my own kind of personal study on it. You mentioned Leslie Odom Jr. Um, the just the the to me the epitome of a, a an R and B soul style that perfectly incorporates with musical theater. Mm. And Hamilton is a, is a good, um, great example of that. But also um, the album that you, I think you suggested that, that album, oh. but did you hear, and I think you suggested this too, he did Without You from Rent. Yeah. And you, you suggested it to me. And, okay. uh, yeah, I was completely blown away by it. It's unbelievable. Like when you, and because he can take something that already exists and that everyone knows, and it is, it's, it's beautiful in its own box and take it and like, okay, I can reconstruct this and make this my thing to where I'm not, um, I'm not bastardizing what's already created, but I'm, I'm adding myself into it. And so that's what I try to do with try to do with roles going back to, I guess, going back to Shrek. Mm -hmm. um, I, that role allows you to do a give, have a lot more freedom. So I go into it and well, actually company is also a good example since I'm talking about that one, but you, you, you have this role, you have this character, you have this part and you're like, okay, I need to know. I, I go through it and I'm like, okay, I think I see their motivations. Then I actually like to go just the first few weeks because I don't spend a lot of time on it. First few weeks and go say, hey, how did other people do this? Mm -hmm. Thankfully, YouTube has some legal and illegal examples of that <laughs> to where you can go and go and look and say, okay, this is how th this person did this part. Can mm -hmm. I can I see? that they maybe did this one thing because it's a part of their, their character development or are they doing it just because they they're trying to show out because mm. there are some of those out there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, kind of trying to dissect that and then 
piecing together my own stuff to where I was like, okay, I like all of that. And this is me presenting it mm-hmm. so that when I leave, when I, when we're in line and getting those very uncomfortable congratulations, um, <laughs> sometimes which, those are so weird. Why? I, I, I have a take on that. Um, but no, they, they, I think almost every time for people who know me have been like, in some form have said, Oh, that, um, it was nice just seeing you up there. You know, you're, you're playing this character, but it's extremely you playing this character. Yeah. Or, or when they, when I did Shrek, my friends were like, Oh, I love donkey's impression of Derek. (laughs) Like that's, that's what, that's what I said. Galen. Galen was like, Oh, I love donkey donkey's impression of Derek is great. And I'm like, shut your mouth. Um, but the the uncomfortable um <laughs> the uncomfortable audience reactions those are those are spectacular mm. especially if you're doing a provocative or controversial or whatever role or yeah. you you're dealing with a community of racists oh uh, yeah yeah <laughs> those <a> are fun <laughs> what by fun our definitions may be different. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, it's a little fun. It's a little fun. <laughs> it's, it's interesting to hear people's processes because I am someone who gets wrapped up in, I'm pretty decent with some impressions and things of that nature. And I find myself, I get lost. If, if I do too much research into what other people did and take too much of inspiration from other people, I'll get lost and I won't be able to give the me version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to avoid it as much as I can. Um, now I will say this, uh, for the shows, uh, for, as you like it, I wasn't as familiar with that show. Um, I did look at a couple renditions. Mm-hmm. I hated them all. So that it actually, <laughs> it worked out to my advantage. I was like, mm, none of that is going to be what I do. Um, the Kentucky Shakespeare company, their, their iteration of it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a bluegrass themed version of it. It was amazing. It was brilliant. Huh. Um, but like with Peter and the star catcher, um, the character that I played Lord Asher, that my take of was nothing like any of the ones that I saw. Um, not because I didn't like them. Uh, they wanted Tony as well. So obviously they knew what they were doing. Um, <laughs> but it just didn't, it didn't fit me. And I was like, well, the director chose me mm-hmm. for that character for some reason. So I'm going to try to be as me as I could. Right. And uh, it's, it's weird. Like getting no criticism is weird. You're like, you don't have anything to say because we're actors and we're weak and we need that constant positive affirmation. <laughs> Tell me I'm great. <laughs> right. You son of a bitch. You haven't said I'm it in a, 13 I'm a minutes. Person. I'm <laughs> right. a person that needs your criticism beat me down constantly tell me i'm great um but he said nothing and i, I started to realize hey that's the best thing yeah you know? and then that- when he sends notes home at night when you know you start coming down to the crucial times and he's like i'm sending y'all's notes y'all better look at him and uh i'm like oh yes no notes you mm-hmm. know i'm like that's the greatest positive affirmation you can get is the director didn't notice me tonight right. i did it right <laughs> well, it depends. It de- it all it all depends because we had we had an um, specifically with hair. You with that show, 
you want to be over the top. You mm-hmm. want to go all out because, as the directors say, you have to reach to the back row with your hands. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. you, you get what they it's say, true, what yeah. they're saying, but you're like, could you put it some other way? Um, less pretentious. <laughs> okay. So. But no, they, with that show, you have to, um, you have to give so much to the point to where our choreographer was like, I want to call you out. I want to be able to to say at the end of that rehearsal or that number, um, oh, Derek, I saw what you did. Or um, Magnolia, I saw what you did. Hey, Magnolia. Um, <laughs> and there are moments where you don't need to be like that. You have to read the character. Mm-hmm. You have to, to read the situation that you're in. Um, it's just like going going out somewhere and reading a room. You're not going to make some dirty joke in the middle of some, you know, Bible study. Speak for yourself. <clears throat> yeah, it, it was, it was the general, general you. And you, well, you know me and, and Chris Weber. Uh-huh. Uh, just throw a shout out to <laughs> the ever really two more inappropriate. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, um, it's knowing, like I said, knowing your character. And like, I wouldn't, I would only devote uh, you directors tell you this all the time. They're like, don't, don't look at other versions. We had to do that with dream girls. We're like, don't you don't, if you're going to listen to a version, listen to like the original Broadway or the concert version that they did. Don't listen to Beyonce. Don't listen to this, that, and the other. Um, Because uh, it's a general thing, but we kind of do it a bit more. Um, some black people in there, some, I'm not saying all. Um, we go with the familiar and mm. we want to copy the familiar mm. because it's easier because we already know it. And what well, also lends itself to what you said earlier it's that meeting expectations. Right. So when you have those theater goers who don't go to shows much, they're mm-hmm. like, that ain't how they did it in the movie. Yeah. And you're like, well, sorry, I'm trying to do my own thing. Like doing an impersonation, like I'm not a Beyonce impersonator. So that right. was not what I was going for. <laughs> well, why wasn't this song in the show? Right. Uh, but so, yeah, it, it, you have to, you have to know the situation. You have to know that character. You have to know when to give a whole bunch and not give a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you can't, you can't sacrifice to me. This is the way I, I I operate. You can't sacrifice yourself for the sake of character development. I guess, like you will, that character will develop itself if you just be you on that stage. Yeah. If if you if, or be or be an extension of yourself. Like yeah, I don't that's... know what a I don't know what a donkey is. I don't know how a donkey acts. Right. But what I do know is the character that's supposed to be there. It's supposed to be um, bouncing off the walls, over the top, um, just it's every wants to be everybody's friend but has no friends at all. So he's going to do everything in his power to do that. Mm-hmm. So as somebody who has maybe experienced that a couple of times, who's like, okay, I'm in this new situation. There's these new people. How, how would I do that? And then give 20% more. 
and then give 50% more and then get a hundred percent more and keep going until the director says, okay, you may need to calm that down. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. that's aside from not getting notes, that's the best thing they could tell you is, hmm, could you, could you reel that back a little bit? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. So, well, I, I think that's a great ending point. We've run for about an hour, man. Okay. Uh, that flew, flew by. Uh, I just looked at my phone. I was like, oh, snap. Okay. Because I put my phone over here so as to not let anything distract me and stay with you and try to be present. And, I had to uh, turn mine down earlier because it started to beep and buzz. Yeah, you're like, oh, shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I greatly appreciate your time, man. It was as good as I knew it would be. Uh, definitely something you can hear the passion in it. And I hope that some people find um, – you know, something in this that they can relate to and they heard something that, you know, maybe makes a change in how they look at things um, more so from you seasoned veteran uh, at this point doing so many shows. Uh, <laughs> you're like, I'm seasoned. Um, and more like paprika. <laughs> hey, it counts. Uh, I'm white. So that counts as seasoning. Um, <laughs> um, but I appreciate your time, man. And uh, I hope the people tune in. I would let you plug some stuff right now, but uh the only thing you probably had to plug is like, uh, if you'd like to watch me watch some pretzels on the couch later, tune right. in. <laughs> well, so. what, I w- what I will say is, bye, young man. <laughs> <laughs> that is God, the wife. I can't stand her. <laughs> he said he can't stand you. Uh, for <laughs> listeners, that's the wife checking in with uh, one of her BFFs, <laughs> Mr. Derek here. So. Um, but bye. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you see it. You're seeing it everywhere. Just support. Just support your your local everything. Yeah. Support your local grocery stores. Support your local restaurants. Um, support your local like DJs and artists who are going online. Oh who, yeah. For some, this is their primary source of income that they would do every week, but they can't. Yeah. Um, you know, some of us are some of us are lucky enough to have, um to have jobs or to have situations to where like for me, I got furloughed, but they're taking, they, um, they're taking care of all of our unemployment paperwork, getting that submitted, doing everything. All we just have to do is sit here waiting on the check. That's great. There are some people who don't have that. That's true. Yeah. There are some people who the moment, the moment a bar shut down, that was their income. So if you see those people out there trying to um, make a living, trying to make sure they stay afloat and they're, they're asking you to watch them do an hour long set and drop a dollar or two. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt you. That's a fantastic message, man. I, I love that. That's a beautiful way to end this. I uh, love you, brother. And I appreciate too. you doing this with it uh, with me, man. And I hope people love it. I right, hope so too. Bye, Bye. everybody. <laughs>